1: Hello, you're very welcome along to this week's edition of The Group Chat. I am news correspondent here at Virgin Media News, Richard Chambers. I'm joined as always by fellow news correspondent, Zara King. Hello, how are you? Good, and political correspondent. Gavin Riley. Hello, Richard how are you? How's oh, everybody? <laughs> how am I? Raspy. Of course. Gavin is Riley.
0: He's in his uh, Phoebe Buffet smelly cat sort of, you know, sultry oh, era. That's a,
2: a very upmarket I think a way. Good... Trying to brand it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just have a head cold and I'm a, a little bit raspy, but here I am in my group chat branded book where I'm
0: having
1: some <laughs> top quality Lemsip Other products are available. Sorry, the documentary went out this week.
0: It did. Yeah. It did. Yeah. It was, I was nervous, but it went down good well. Response. Yeah. Good response. Good response. I think we'll get into that a bit later on. But um, yeah, it was interesting to see people's reactions and kind of what I said before I mean like so many people know people who've gone and that's been a real like major Mm. takeaway Mm -hmm. from it but we'll chat about it again we'll we'll come back to it later on
1: but we are now well depending on when you're listening five or six days out from budget 2024 the board for the budget is set the pieces are moving at this point in time you have the cost of living situation you have the housing situation you have the cost of childcare GPs the overrun of the Department of Health and yet all despite all this and this big giveaway budget that we've heard so much about Mm. for so many months has evaporated before it's even been handed over. doesn't really feel like an
2: 11 billion euro surplus anymore, does it? But that was what they were ostensibly supposed to be running uh, this year and next. And then suddenly all the money has been kind of whittled away because partly because the government wanted to put aside some for long-term purposes, like some kind of rainy day fund or national sovereign wealth or keeping aside a kitty so that capital projects make sure they're funded into the future and that's all well and good. Uh, but on the day-to-day stuff, so much money has just been gobbled up by government overspending. And we've touched on it a couple of times in the last few weeks, but particularly in... The budget for the Department of Children, which is responsible for integration, which is responsible for refugee housing, and they've got much more than they ever thought they were going to have to. But on the health side, it's just all been kind of frittered away that the mm. last year we had the biggest budget ever in the history of uh, Irish healthcare, 23 billion euro. Wasn't enough to keep them going. Another 1 billion euro to keep the lights on between now and the end of the year. And then that just gobbles up the space that you've got for next year. And suddenly, at, at a massive amount of money, which, which should have been the giveaway budget to end all giveaways, it could have been like the antithesis to austerity.
0: Um, mm.
1: accidental
2: alliteration there. Um suddenly just disappeared. Not happening anymore.
0: Richard, people are going to be so disappointed though, aren't they?
1: I don't I don't even know if they will. Like I'm sure they there's there's definitely some level of backlash that should be there because so many government ministers, like let's be honest, were out leaking to the press about this being a great budget for months <laughs> to come up until mm-hmm. this point. And now in the last two weeks in the run-up to the budget, they've been like, well,
0: a little bit more difficult. Yeah. We don't
1: really have this to spend and they've pointed to things like Gavin said like integration and health as being the reasons for it. But we actually got a clearer reason as to why perhaps things aren't going to be quite as rosy uh, with the ESRI basically saying the Irish economy is going into the red uh, dropping down into retraction for the first time in 10 years. Plus, our cosy little kitty of corporation tax mm. receipts from the big multinationals mm. uh, is starting to fall off significantly um, which is something which we had been warned about multiple times but starting to come to fruition. Yeah, which is interesting timing for that to happen because obviously no one designing a
2: budget to be delivered in October would ever want corporate taxes to start drying up in August and September. But it was really interesting at the start of the year that Leo Varadkar was talking about how oh you know we, we have to try and not become too cautious. You know all these warnings about corporate tax not being reliable all being kind of windfally in nature. It could prospectively mm. drive at any moment. And at the start of the year he was saying let's not get too tight yeah, up in caution. We, do, we do have, a of weeks we do have ago, big Gavin. projects that we do yeah. feel need to keep one to. But he into.
1: was saying this all the way up until a couple of weeks ago. I remember him when, when IFAC came out and said, look, don't repeat the mistakes of the past. Mm. He was like, an overabundance of caution can be damaging. He says, we're not going to listen to IFAC's warning um, on in this regard because we have plans for what we need to do to meet up with the rising cost of living, runaway inflation that we've seen in recent Mm. years. But then yesterday, Eamon Ryan was out and I was at his press conference and it was really surprising to hear him say, actually, we need to be cautious and we need to listen to what IFAC are saying. It's like, Mm. but didn't the guy who's like... The guy, no, who's, in charge, the guy yeah. who's in charge. The guy who's in charge said we're not, not going to listen to you that. I wonder
2: is he having any conversations at all with the minister for public expenditure, Pascal Dunne, from his own party, so-called prudent Pascal, and is he putting the reins in a bit? You know.
0: Yeah, I do, and I wonder as well. It's kind of like you know, going back a couple of weeks ago, when Leo Records said the thing about the government's decisions around Christmas and COVID. Does, does sometimes Leo Record just kind of tend to go on a little bit of a solo run with commentary in the way he speaks about things?
1: I'd love to know, but like, what was Ooh. the decision making process around this? Because he he of he of all people had been really pushing it, even ahead of last budget. Remember, Mm -hmm. there was all that talk about we'll have a new rate of uh, personal income tax and we're going to make it, you know, a little bit easier for middle and higher income workers, effectively, Mm -hmm. in terms of what Mm -hmm. they take home and pay. And he was very much on the grandstand about that. And he had been a little bit, probably lesser extent this year, but he was still very much beating that drum about Mm -hmm. we're going to let people keep more of what they earn take that home with them. So they're not paying as much in taxation. And, and suddenly then, like it's
2: all just slipped. Well if you
1: mm-hmm. believe the the general like the, the conservative with a small
2: C mantra of like not wanting to borrow to pay for tax cuts and, and trying to balance the books as much as you can. Like from that perspective, then like everything has just gone down the swanny completely because like we have to remember like we've been talking about the billions in surpluses and we're talking about having surpluses of like 65 billion euro across the next four years. But like pretty much all of that is windfall corporate tax stuff. And if that were to disappear, if, if corporate tax windfalls disappeared right now, the country would already be in the red. We would already be having to borrow to do everyday stuff like paying teachers and doctors and nurses and guards and generally keeping the lights on. So we're basically, we're living within our means only because of the windfall stuff. And now that there's maybe a sign in the last couple of months that that's beginning to rain itself in or that the multinationals that are basically bankrolling the country might be moving their stuff elsewhere, like suddenly the giveaway doesn't look nearly at all as as give way? it you know, might
0: also be. Is there an over-reliance though on multinationals then? Is that what's clear from I, all yeah, of this? Yeah. We've, <laughs> we've, like, we've just literally <laughs> decided that we put all of our faith in this one sort of thing and now yeah. it's not really working mm. out. It's yeah, the, way the,
1: the, the government has talked the right talk in terms of we can't be over-reliant yeah. on it and it's a bad thing to be over-reliant mm. on it. But I think what actually came out in the SRI uh, and its sort of read of where the economy currently is is just how uh, susceptible we are to even slightest of changes of things geopolitically, mm. like mm. The, the the China versus America economic war is brought down the price of a lot of imports and trade which would have Mm. come through Ireland and then of course as well there was also the lesser demand for Covid vaccines Mm -hmm. Um, so that actually had a knock on to our pharmaceutical sector as well or our pharmaceutical sector, the pharmaceutical sector of other companies or countries which Mm. is here Mm. whatever Mm. way you want to look at it. But Zara we were talking obviously last week to to Natalie uh, one woman's story about the cost of everything, the cost of housing in this country Mm -hmm. Uh, it's something which did resonate with people and it is going to be interesting to see how that plays out in terms of the budget because I actually don't think there's a
0: huge amount for Especially someone like Natalie effectively as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. like that's what I'm saying. Um, yeah, well, uh, to be honest, we knew when we were sitting here at Natalie last week that, you know, it was that it would echo a lot of what we'd heard from group chat listeners before, but actually then to get the feedback from them, all of us sort of had messages coming through last week from people who really felt that like Natalie was totally putting into words exactly how they're feeling and mm-hmm. being confronted by that idea that um, government will say there's a policy there to help you and your family, but actually when you look into it, you're, you're just a little bit wide of the mark or you're, it just doesn't work for you. Um, just some of the messages that came in, just to take you through through one of them this is quite a long message but look one person here saying I resonate with Natalie so much because the dream to move back to Ireland and start a family this is someone who moved to the UK uh, to build our home it just seems so unrealistic and impossible at this moment in time I do think that the group of Irish people who emigrated in their twenties are now all in the same boat possibly wanting to come home but it is just not appealing with the housing crisis the cost of living the tax the list goes on so and also this person just saying they had had planning permission um, to move back home and build a house back home before they left but actually they just couldn't afford to do it now basically.
1: That, we heard a lot of that sort of similar sentiments mm-hmm. from Irish people who went abroad you remember in the context of Leo Varadkar making those comments I think it was in the last season we did that we had a lot of voice mm. notes in from oh people yeah who so that's, gone, yes, that's right, yeah. Gone abroad yeah. and basically that you know faraway hills weren't as green all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff but again the, the idea of people coming back to Ireland seems quite a prohibitive cost for people if they were even really, really wanted at this point in time. Another person who got in touch about Natalie's uh, interview as a guy who runs his own business actually, says in 2006, he arrived to this country and it felt like the land of opportunity, but it just gets more and more expensive. Uh, he said the childcare costs are bonkers and mm-hmm. day-to-day costs are off the charts. He says, uh, I can understand youngsters fleeing the country for a more affordable life, sadly. Buying is now near impossible. One of the elements actually just in terms of housing Mm -hmm. for this budget and one thing which had been flagged uh, and it was a good initiative in the last budget to give a credit is the renter's tax Mm. credit but we'd heard so much about the fact they were going to try and double that this time around and now all the leaks are just it's going to fall short of expectation Mm -hmm. there again and when you see the price of new rents in particular like it's just not keeping up with what's actually being presented Mm. to renters in the market. It's one of those things
2: where the, the government has Altogether on the tax side, 1.1 billion euro to spend. And when you put that at, at face value, you got to go, 1.1 billion euro. God, that's that's loads of money. You could you could do loads with that. And then you think, well, what can they actually do on the tax side? Because renter's tax credit would be basically tax spending. It's money that the state would be foregoing. And if you consider that there are, let's say, for argument's sake, a million renters in the country, let's say there's a, mil- a million people who are renting, or a million sort of taxpayers uh, who are renting, then suddenly if you want to give them another 500 million euro credit and every single one of them were to claim it, that would hypothetically be half a billion euro. That's almost all of that wriggle room eaten up already. Mm -hmm. If you want to try and make sure that the average full-time worker is able to get more of their own wages without hitting the higher tax rate, um, to raise the tax ban by 1,500 quid, which would give you 300 euro a year more Mm. at the Mm -hmm. end of the year, that would cost the state 399 million euro for one year. So you, you just do that you do the renter's tax credit, you delay the excise on petrol and diesel, which is due to be coming back again at the end of October, possibly delay or even abandon that altogether. Mm. That's more, that's tens, if not hundreds of millions already.
0: Because anyone no. filling their car even this week is noticing well, that. There you goes. go. Yeah. So like, I mean, I that are, yeah. that, that yeah. would
2: hypothetically be three measures. Like, I've probably overstated the cost of the renter's tax credit, but that would be three measures. And that's all the tax wriggle room gobbled up already. So like, it, it costs, because the country is now so big and the population is, is getting that bit bigger, mm-hmm. it costs a huge amount to do relatively little as long as you make it universal. So it means that there's actually just really little room to do
0: these things. Totally. And I think just kind of to recap just on some of the key points from the Natalie thing that came back from people when they were messaging us was that, and this is not something that will be dealt with in the budget next week, obviously, but it is a broader conversation about the central bank lending rules and the fact that people are, you know, forking out I think Anashi said in the region of three thousand euro a month in mm. rent. When actually, if she owned the house she was living in, her mm. mortgage would be half of that. Yeah. So you know, like there, there's definitely, and I don't know how that comes up or how they go about doing that, but clearly there's a an enormous shift that needs to happen in terms of the lending rules because like people are broke from renting; yeah. they're broke.
1: Mm. It's just yeah, and it's not, it's not, it's not properly being addressed really in in any real way, shape, or form. And like I know Michael McGrath was saying this week that oh yeah, the the aim of the budget is to make people better off than they will be, you know, if we hadn't put in the budget, even though inflation is going to run about 2 or 3% mm. probably next year as well. But like... I don't see a huge amount of, mm. of head change in this. Like all is it only takes a slight a, a slight like. a shock to increase yeah. inflation again. We're still running higher inflation than pretty much anywhere else in the European Union at this point in time as well. Mm. It's I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a tense budget to get over the line. Like I know over the course of today, I've been I don't know if you've been looking around your emails mm. and seeing what's landing in, and it's finegrail Press Office uh, with every single Finnegall TD. Mm. And actually, to give them credit, some of their the holes they're po- poking in Sinn Fein's alternative budget are quite interesting, mm. but. A awful lot of defence being played here. Yes, ahead yeah. of ahead of the yeah. game, actually been rolled out. Yeah. So. It's that kind
2: of centrist thing of like improvement isn't possible. That they're just trying to deconstruct everyone else's ideas. One uh, actually, one thing on, on the general housing thing, just particularly because it really resonated when Natalie was talking about it last week. There was a piece in the Irish Independent in March of last year like literally when the podcast is only getting going. Mm. And I tweeted at the time. And it's funny that it's kind of grown legs again this week where I've seen it getting like retweets and people suddenly latching onto it again. So, you know, there's this long-term government plan to have mandatory auto-enrollment in pensions so that it was, when you start a new job, yeah. you would automatically be making pension contributions and you'd have to opt out rather than opting in. Mm. One of the reasons in internal government notes why they said they had to do that was because they fully recognised that there'd be a whole generation of people who will get to retirement age not owning a home and that they would need to have a decent pension because oh, yeah. they need to be able to afford it. Renting
0: rent. pensioners is absolutely like, the future. It,
2: it's absolutely the future, but like, it, it's just funny that in the last week, this seems to have captured the imagination again where people are just realising how like, how hopeless the whole situation is, that even when, when successive governments will talk about trying to get to the nub of the housing uh, problem once and for all, and that they are really going to do everything they can to fix this, that internally they are also accepting that there'll be a generation of people who'll never own, and that mm-hmm. they'll need to be able to earn thousands per month in retirement simply to be able to keep a roof over their heads before they do anything else.
0: And there will be people who will say, you know, Irish people are obsessed with owning houses and there are other countries where people rent forever and what's wrong with that? And people will argue that. But I think the real problem is that actually like the rental structures in terms of security of tenure and long-term renting mm. just aren't in place here either. So like that idea that you would be secure in a property and that the price would be, you know, locked in or fixed in for like a lengthy period of time mm. doesn't exist here either. And that's a big yeah, like, yeah, yeah, if
2: if you were yeah. a, a pair of grandparents and you were living in an urban apartment you yeah. could be in another country and know that as long as you made the rent your place was yours forever yeah. and that's a an, a right or a dependency that we don't have in Ireland because the landlord is always right now at the discretion of selling it and then you're out in your ear and you have to go somewhere else again. I mean, of course, people don't feel like it's a secure option long term. Yeah. What so do?
0: that's why I think just to kind of, because people will say, oh, Irish people are obsessed with only but I think the culture here exists that like your only sort of closest guarantee to, to having a roof over your head long term is to actually own it.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And I think it, it, it's been clear what's happened in the rental sector over the last number of years is that there's just zero affordability. There's zero availability. I think I was reading today because I was, you know, doing that look through of daft.e and what's available mm-hmm. versus what was available you know five years ago, 10 years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. It's like, it's not even a quarter of what's available. And like the, the the lines you have to face to do it. I know even yesterday I thought it was interesting the finance minister didn't, you know, refuse to be drawn on whether or not house prices, he likes to see house prices actually decrease in terms of affordability. Mm. Like, I know that there's an economic loss there and voters who own houses, i.e. people who will vote for Fianna Fáil and Fianna perhaps, perhaps, um, are people who would be affected if there was a drop in house prices. Mm. But it's just very bad. I just think there's... But a, there's... Their, their children need houses too though there's... at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is the thing, you have to be thinking about what the next generation of voters is doing, which is something which I think the Tories and Republicans in the States are always you know, consistently mm-hmm. like, oh crap, we have... <laughs> oh, uh, no we've alienated everyone under 30. We gave nothing to the people who are meant to sustain us and will be the voters of the futures and now we're surprised they won't vote for us. But Mm -hmm. I just think that there is probably a bigger political question around it for the government in the big picture um, in that all the thing, the, the one thing that they've always pointed to is just being a safe shepherd of the economy and that everything was going the right way. And look at the amount of growth. I heard Mihal Martin banging on about it in his own podcast there. Only a couple of days oh, ago. Did you listen to it? I had to listen okay. through it. I saw, I heard a couple of clips on it and I was like, there's no way this is, the entire, <laughs> this is the entire episode. And it was. It was the entire episode Was how great the economy was. Uh, and then two days later, the SRI says we're retracting. Yeah. Uh, and oh, our no. corporate tax base uh, started to, to whittle down a bit. Oh, so I'm like, that's not great. But like, if that's the one thing that you were able to point to and say, mm. look, we've driven growth. We have jobs coming into the country. All that sort of stuff if you're starting to have questions as to whether or not they're actually that good at managing the economy, mm. well then that's well, not well, place, well, it, well like it's grand
0: to be a safe shepherd sitting up on the hill when like you're sorted. It's a different story when you're like, you know, you don't own a flock and you don't have a hill. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like it's not, uh, you know, I just think sometimes I'm, I feel like it's such a cliche thing to say, oh they're out of touch with reality, they're out of touch with what people are. I just think, as much as I'm, and Pascal Dunne, who in fairness came into us last year and sat down and uh-huh. we answered questions after the budget with us and you know we put it to him you know our politicians out of touch and he said no we meet people every day and we knock on the doors and I know that they do do that but I just don't know if like you know I, I'm I'm very concerned when you look at examples like Natalie last week. and I'm going back to that again because I just think that there are so many policies that politicians will tell you are in place for families like that that are just not reaching the people who need them
1: mm, yeah the shepherds lost the flock there really hasn't they yeah So Sarah, this week we obviously saw uh, To Die For, your documentary about people from Ireland mm. going to Turkey for cosmetic surgery yeah. and the implications, the health implications uh, of that. Uh, Gav, I know you were particularly taken by... Mm. By teeth and stumpy teeth. Yeah, because mm-hmm. w- so one of the aspects, obviously, that b- people will know that many people travel to Turkey for cosmetic
2: dentistry work, and th- it was very well explained actually by the, one of the dental surgeons mm. that you had as a, as a talking head, Everybody's, Zara, yeah. talking about how you're supposed to basically file down the natural enamel of the teeth by like half a millimeter, mm-hmm. so as to make space for the the new artificial covers to go on, and how that just absolutely wasn't happening in some cases. That like you saw what was left of the natural tooth before the like the artificial coating or the crowns were put in them. And like, it was, it was gargantuan. Like it, it actually seemed almost barbaric. Yeah. And like so many people were willfully shaving down people's teeth basically to stumps. Like, yeah. How could that not be like unhelpful or like medically negligent, like it's wild.
0: Uh, it's wild, and they are healthy teeth that they're filing yeah. down. So I was saying that one of the most common things is right. Someone might go to their dentist, their local dentist down the road, right in Galway or whatever, or in, in Wexford or whatever, and the dentist will say, "Oh, you need two veneers," you know, because whatever. And mm. then the person goes online and goes, "Well, actually, I could get a full set of veneers way cheaper abroad in Turkey or wherever they choose to go to." And they're kind of going grand, sure, I'll go and get the full set when actually all you needed was two. Mm-hmm. You didn't mm-hmm. need the full set. And I'll go
2: and convalesce on a sunbed for a week as yeah, well. Yeah, it it's like kind
0: it. of this concept of like oh good value for money but actually it's not really great value for money if you end up damaging a lot of very healthy teeth and also in a lot of these cases you know the work that you have done abroad sometimes it will only sort of last for five or six years and you're looking at having to revisit again and get back Mm. to it again but also I just think kind of of the takeaways from that conversation was I just like your mouth is what you use to nourish your body, to feed yourself, to communicate, to speak. I don't know. Sometimes I just think, in the pursuit of a perfect smile, the people sometimes get lost and they forget that actually you get one shot at this whole having a mouth thing, and it's pretty vital know, implement, all I right. I would say like, uh, so. I would say so. What did you make of the whole thing? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think what I think what was interesting is just how commercially driven. Um, people who are working in that sphere in Turkey are and the social Mm. media outlook of it Mm. and the fact that they know that they're throwing a net out there to try and capture people who might have you know insecurities Mm. or body image issues and basically bring them in so it feels quite exploitative of that and also that culture as you sort of say that sort of almost celebrity-ness of it Mm. is kind of a bit wild given that these are you know plastic surgeons working in Turkey. Well, the idea that they all have individual Instagram accounts. I mean,
2: I know that that, like it it shouldn't feel or it shouldn't seem outrageous because like it's an industry and of course that's going to be their shop window. But the idea that when you were going to an open day, you were saying, oh, go look at the the hospital's Mm. Instagram page. And by the way, all the individual surgeons have Instagram pages too so you could look at all their work. Like it does feel... Like so nakedly commercial that they're not like sort of doing it for and, a medical benefit.
0: And absolutely, and like you know, surgeons working in that environment would feel the pressure to have that social media presence and they kind of feel like you're not going to get the jobs if you don't do it. Like, you know, Dr. Firkin Kayan, who we spoke to, um who treated an Irish patient, the one Irish patient that we did feature who had a very positive outcome. And by the way, I think it was important to feature that. I was gonna, say yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah, because there was mm. one or two people who were like, Why was there a positive story? The reason there's a positive story in the documentary is because it does work out for a lot of people, and that's really important. Mm. Good journalism gives you all the facts. Unless you make your mind up yourself. Um, And that's, you know, that's what it was important to do. But Dr. Firkin Kayan, who treated um, Leanne, who had had a very positive outcome in terms of a skin removal surgery, this was after she'd had bariatric surgery in Ireland. He was telling me, I said, how do you feel about this idea of celebrity surgeon? And he said, you know, like you have to show your work, how else will the patient, you know, be able to see the before and after and the difference. Mm. And even when Mark, our cameraman went down to film with um, Dr. Firkin for a surgery, Mark couldn't get over the kit like the camera he had. He was taking before pictures of the patient that he was going to deal with that day. And, you know, they put up a screen and everything and they like it was his proper really fancy DSLR And Mark was like, He's got a deadly ca-. Mark's into cameras obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and Mark was like, He's got a deadly camera down there. And I thought, well, the camera's probably as important of a tool for yeah. a surgeon like that as a scalpel. Well, see, you know thing,
2: As long as it's as important, but you sometimes you get the impression that it's almost more important, that it's more important to show your work than for the work to actually sort of be. Well, that's mm. the like, concern. Yeah. Good.
0: That is the concern. And and, you know, um, Nerjan, the solicitor who we spoke to, who was um, Hazel's solicitor, if people have seen the documentary, you know, she's dealing with another case that she cited as well where a patient who travelled from Ireland as well uh, was treated by somebody who was unlicensed, who wasn't a licensed yeah, but... practitioner and she's investigating that and working with that family on that. So there's a lot of examples there of, um, you know, challenging outcomes difficult outcomes but ultimately you know the the takeaway and I said this to you before from from the people that we spoke to and even those and I said this before as well a lot of families that I spoke to they were research phone calls they were conversations to establish what was going on these were families that didn't want to be on camera because they are afraid that if they give an interview that it will affect the outcome of an investigation but in reality a lot of these investigations are dragging on for two and three years and families have no answers or no idea how their loved one has actually died.
1: You had a message or two to read out there actually just in terms of feedback. Just some of
0: the feedback that came in there was a lot of messages through um this one kind of stood out to me um so this was a young girl who messaged me to say the line from the woman in particular where she talked about how society shuns you for having imperfections but also shuns you for having surgery she said that really stuck out to me even with female celebrities, I find it really unfair how they are ridiculed for their imperfections, but then they are called plastic once they have the surgery. It's almost like we Mm. can't win. Mm. And then she goes on to say, I've always been insecure about my nose and wanted to get it done in Turkey as I don't have the money to do it here. I saw an influencer getting rhinoplasty in Turkey over lockdown, but after watching tonight, I won't be doing it. Please keep this anonymous. Yeah. So, you know, she's reconsidering it now, I suppose, after having a look at it and like that's totally her decision. But mm. that's a fair point that she makes, though, isn't it? About the fact that, you know, we're so, society is so judgmental. We're so hard on one another. We're so critical of one another. And then when somebody, you know, addresses what's perceived to be an issue, they're then criticised for doing that as well. So you, it's like, you can't win.
2: Yeah. yeah. I, really, I don't know what you could say in response to that other than that it's it's completely correct. And like, yeah. uh, and that's why I think actually the fact that these the surgeons were marketing on Instagram in particular, like mm. I, I know, yes, it's a public thing and you have to advertise and that's where the customers are. But the very fact that it's on Instagram, a network where people tend to put up almost literally airbrushed versions of their best selves, where they're, mm. like, they're often not very authentic about the lives that they portray, that they will portray themselves only when they're doing their most fun thing or when they look the best. And then that for that to be the shop window, that if you're browsing through stories and you see somebody looking a bit filtered and looking great, mm. and then suddenly the surgeon who might help you to look like that. Of course, you're naturally going to feel like that might be the avenue you want to go down. And you feel it's like it's someone who it, can
0: help you. And actually, the thing. way people are booking it is through like DMs. They're sending, you know, private messages on Instagram. Yeah. That's the booking process. Wow. It's DMs on Instagram. It's, um, you know, WhatsApp numbers. You send the hospital a photograph of yourself. You get a text back. You can book a surgery within the space of like five or six exchanges on WhatsApp. Like it's pretty, like it's pretty accessible. It's pretty mm-hmm. accessible. And, you know, but it's, it's a very... It's been a very interesting process to do the documentary, I have to say. I said to you before, I feel like every interview I did, I learned something new or I, you know, yeah. I felt like it was, it was very insightful. I think it's something that um, definitely from an Irish health system perspective, we do need to have a conversation about, you know, helping people to address it with, whether that's body dysmorphia or issues with actually, you know, medical procedures that they want to avail of and actually be able to access. I think that there is a major issue with access here in Ireland and You know, for some people, it's not just cosmetic, you know, for some people, particularly when it comes to, say, bariatric surgery, people want to, you know, improve their health and they want to get on with their lives. And, you know, there's definitely a conversation about making that more accessible for people that certainly has to be had.
2: Mm. Documentary still available on The Player?
0: It's on The Player. Check it out to die for. cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com
1: now unless you are hiding under a rock <laughs> and don't have access to social media you will probably have seen that taylor swift has a new bow in her life by the name of travis kelsey the tight end of the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL. This has had a huge, I want to expre- express <laughs> just the, the volume of this, the commercial impact of Taylor Swift's uh, connection to the sport of American football, already the most popular viewed sport in mm. the United States of America is insane. Commercial impact, but put
2: some put some stats in that for us. Like how, how big is this impact? Because you'd think NFL is already pretty big. Taylor Swift's already pretty big. Like how could they get bigger?
1: The Kansas City Chiefs game at the New York Jets, which was the one which was just went this weekend, people will have seen Taylor Swift rock up at that. Actually, it was the mo- one of the most interesting points of that was the clip which was shared by all the sports media in the States of Taylor Swift just arriving at this game, right? Right behind her and she walked through the metal detector was Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds, both A-list famous in their own right. Yeah. Not a commenter or anything like that. These could have been two random dudes, right?
0: Too loud <laughs> two man. lads. Two lads.
1: It's all Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift. The viewership of that game uh, was an average of 27 million viewers. That makes the most watched Sunday night football uh, game in the NFL since the Super Bowl and far outstripping stripping other regular season because games. Because
0: people wanted to see a cutaway shot of Taylor Swift. And there was,
1: they will have been very happy because there was nothing but cutaway shots of Taylor Swift all night. <laughs> and that was for <laughs> but, the first week as well. But they would endure like basically two and a half hours of stop-start
2: football because they wanted the occasional
1: glimpse of Taylor Swift in a skybox. Viewership was up. Here's actually, here's, here's, here's the key component. This is why oh I think the God. NFL and we'll talk about why this actually, because it's been really interesting because the NFL is embrace this wholeheartedly. This is a serious sports league. Literally the richest league in any sport in the Mm. world. Viewership was up 53% amongst 12 to 17 year old girls.
0: Wow. Ah, There you go. And there was a load of them who were gathered
1: around the Meadowland Stadium which is actually basically out in a swamp uh, just outside New York and New Jersey uh, with big signs saying, you know, we're here for Taylor Swift's boyfriend all that sort of stuff.
0: (laughs) Didn't even have his name on it. Like (laughs) just her boyfriend.
1: And then the next night in the same stadium uh, the New York Giants were playing so New York Jets were playing against Travis Kelce's team on the Sunday and then on the Monday New York Giants were playing rivalry there mm. uh, they booed whenever Taylor Swift's image came up on sign because she was obviously doing that concert movie thing so, so big, every yes. time they advertised the movie yeah. the, the, Gi- the Giants fans were Boo. booing because she had showed up at a Jets game literally holding up signs grown Go men Jets. holding up signs saying uh, I'm not a Swifty so yeah which is but yeah, I, I, this is... There's
0: somebody in the NFL being like, Travis Ladd, look after this one now.
1: <laughs> it's so interesting because it's there's such... Because there's, it's there's a huge cultural moment because...
0: So how are they supposed to have met? Like, what's the vibe here?
1: So Taylor Swift has been doing this... This tour apparently is like, in terms of overall grossing, this is one of the biggest mm. tours of all time. I
0: oh know, like I remember like the hysteria about people yeah. trying to get tickets here and but stuff. Even, yeah, and exactly, yeah. Like, I mean, we were people were there losing there. their mind over it. Yeah. yeah, we were
1: talking in the newsroom about it there. So yeah. there's still people looking to sort out their kids and go themselves and all that sort of crack. Um, but she played one of the gigs in Arrowhead Stadium uh, in Kansas City, which is where, where the Kansas City Chiefs of Taylor Kelsey were. Mm. And uh, or Travis Kelsey um, went along and he did, as many Swifties do, and made a friendship bracelet, uh, which he put his number on it and he tried to give it to Taylor Swift and basically uh, said to her, I've seen you rock the stage at Arrowhead Stadium. Now you should see, rock, see me rock the stage at Arrowhead in the NFL and they, she was there, and we wow. One. That's like that. moving. I think it's a good move. I think it's a good move. But, but like, <laughs> it's, like this is a, an already like I, I say the majority of our listeners don't really know Travis. Yeah, Cox, I was good. I was actually
2: going to say just kind of tee that up because is Travis Kelsey just your? I want to say run-of-the-mill NFL man because like none of them are run-of-the-mill. But no. like, in terms of like, is he a high-achieving all, like, NFL man? Yeah. It would be, yeah. Okay. It's very
1: very competitive to get into. But he is well, a in, big in star. In the marketplace of NFL players, is he a big deal? He was already a big, big star, right? So Travis Kelsey is a big deal. He plays tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, which has won uh, the Super Bowl a couple of times in recent years. Um, he is a big deal. He's a big, big deal in American sporting terms. Um, his brother actually is also a big enough deal uh, Jason Kelsey who plays for the Philadelphia Eagles who just won the Super Bowl uh-huh. against or there was a yeah, the whole Super Bowl was between Kansas City and Philadelphia Eagles.
2: Oh, so brothers and so oh, that's right, they were the brothers on the opposite sides for the Exactly. First
1: okay, yeah. that was them. So ah. they have their po- They actually have a podcast that was really worth listening to. Okay. Really, really good. They're two wholesome boys. I'm a big fan of Travis Kelsey. Good luck. Did lab. you listen to the
0: podcast before he started out with Taylor yes. Swift? Though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, did you? But
1: now, obviously, does again. You like NFL though. But again, the listenership of that podcast. The because room. he does it out. They, the pair of them do it every week and he addresses the Taylor Swift stuff. Okay, oh, he does address it. It's not just <gasps> like Love here's it. the game. Straight or up to the top of the chart. to my um, veins. This is like. I think it's interesting in the sense of Taylor Swift is probably, I, w- I would say that like somebody like Beyonce has bigger star power, but Taylor Swift is more accessible. Probably this is the biggest star on mm. the planet in terms of consistency around Sort of well, is star. that because
0: Beyonce, you see, Beyonce is just so amazing. She kind of like drops an album and then disappears again for a while and comes back. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Taylor
1: Swift is more, yeah. more visible and more
2: active in the world. She uses her own social media. There's this sense of kind of immediacy that people sort people of still feel
0: like she's
1: among them a bit. Yeah.
0: I feel like is this, are we looking at the 2023 version of Passion Becks It
1: could be. I think it's, it could it's be. It's huge, but as well, like the amount of people even on Instagram here who have no interest in NFL. And yeah. Fair play. We're to suddenly them. tuning in to But Sunday like they're night. constantly posting about <laughs> Travis Kelce now and the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. But so what, watching Red but zone Taylor Swift which game is coming on.
0: Love Life has always been sort of one that has always made headlines. In fairness, like I mean, the one I remember the most was the Harry Styles era. Do you remember all of that? And there was mm. these pictures. Was that a of them. I, I, people did say that was a showmance, didn't they? That was a sort of I don't know. I, do we actually I, know? I kinda, like. I mean,
1: I, I feel like I most people just don't know, and none of us will know. Yeah. But I feel like there's always cool. a, an extra. There's always an extra tinge of of toxicity and negativity towards Taylor Swift in any of these things because like... Because she's she's a successful successful
0: young woman. That's why. Because she's a successful young woman and people are jealous. Like that's just, let's be frank. It is, yeah. People people don't
1: understand. People see like their their daughters and their sisters and their girlfriends and their Mm -hmm. wives loving Taylor Swift and they want to discredit it in some way so they can try and pick at her personal life in Mm -hmm. in whatever way to try Mm -hmm. and do that. But... um, this has actually... There's been a backlash, not just at Taylor Swift. And I'll talk about this because there's actually news... There's a news piece which I actually put this on the agenda for. But the NFL has been forced to backtrack furiously because it is selling itself on Taylor Swift. So on its Instagram <laughs> profile, uh, it posted that the Kansas City Chiefs are two and zeros and they've won two games. And they've lost none mm. uh, since they became Swifties. So this was their actual bio for the league. <laughs> the so NFL. you go
2: to the NFL Twitter or Instagram yeah. page and the, the whole bio... It's not like, oh, the home of Gridiron yeah. or whatever. It's like... Chiefs are
1: two and I was... Chiefs are... <laughs> Unbelievable. 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 So like... They had if... to get rid of that then. They had to backtrack. They had to backtrack because people were like, this is this is a bit wild. This is a bit mad. Because like, there's 31 other franchises and we also exist. Thanks. So yeah. like, can you talk about us and too? I'm kidding. And aren't kidding. And it is. It's it's the, the most weirdly over-the-top blanket coverage by all the sporting media is just on Here's Taylor Swift, Here's Taylor Swift, Here's Taylor Swift. But the news point I wanted to get to on this is that these two have attracted a major backlash and a hate campaign from the same people who have basically been the drivers of American political discourse and the UK, and now starting over here as well, in terms of the sort of the right-wing conspiracy mob hate these two. Why? Why? Are, they, are they too woke? What's going on? Travis Kelsey's crimes uh, in the eyes of these people is that he once did an ad for Bud Light, which was previously America's favourite beer, top-selling beer by a long distance in the United States, but then it was accused of going woke because of a transgender model in one of its ads, just one of its ads, which one prompted dead. a boycott and all these Republican politicians were like, nope, no more Bud Light, boo Bud Light, because it's going woke. So he that was his first crime. His second crime was that he encouraged people to get the COVID-19 vaccination in the peak of the pandemic. That was his crime. Taylor Swift, of course, had been famously Apolitical for a long, long time. Mm. Didn't say anything about Donald Trump for 2016 mm. all the way until 2020. People have seen that. Re- that was a really good documentary, yeah, yeah. actually. Yeah, it was. Where yeah. she came out and she had that conversation with her family about I need to stand up to this moment, and I'm going she to. She felt
0: it was a personal responsibility there.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred mm. percent. So she encouraged people to vote Donald Trump out of office. Now, she having been a very popular figure amongst this conspiracy cohort for reasons I really can't go into well, on this podcast.
2: That, that, that she was still popular even until this most recent romance, that she was still popular even after encouraging the removal of Donald Trump.
1: Yeah. Still managed to. She still had her... that. There was a little bit of backlash, but like it was just coming around. But basically, people. That's impressive. The far right it? people saw her as.
0: And you can't say why she was still popular now. She
1: why she was still popular with that group because oh. they see her as like a paragon of white America okay,
0: okay. so
1: it was very much this racial thing Bob okay right, you know Sean they're obsessed right. with her but now they're trying to tear them apart and um, it's been this insane insane level of coverage from all of their usual suspects on their podcasts um, that even Sean Hannity of Fox News is like do you know what leave him alone if Sean Hannity is the voice wow. of reason in your conversation <laughs> he's like I love her country music contemporary music I admire her talent she writes all her songs Great songs in fairness. Uh,
0: Belters. Favourite Taylor Swift I, I kind of hate
1: people hating on her. Um, um I quite like the um, Folklore album was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1989 is a great album.
0: Yeah. I like you her know. song style.
1: We fell into the
2: Folklore album because we used to use it as a lullaby for the youngest child. <laughs> We'd stick oh. it on when we were trying to get her to fall asleep because Folklore I, is yeah. quite laid back. Uh, I like Blank Space because I think the the video in particular was a really good send up of her own reputation as being a serial what's the opposite of womanizer, manizer, uh, just her, her romantic frailties were like really well sort of taken the mick out of in that. So I, I really appreciated that. And we're going to be at the point where the NFL is going to be actively encouraging and stay as a couple even if things don't necessarily go their way. I think
0: Taylor's... Like, like is the league I think she's in on the To
2: go
1: to, to see how oh, do you
0: think she's in on it? Like in on the catch or like as oh, if she likes no. him?
1: <laughs> I think she likes him. I think he's a good dude. Okay. Awesome lad. His mom has actually worked uh, following on Instagram as well. Uh, wasn't his, man, wasn't his mom at one of the games with her as well? So yeah. that's already a decent love. Famously time. in the box as well. Yeah. How
0: long have they even gone out? Hang on a second. That's only like a
1: couple of weeks, I think.
0: Um, like, how, it, how many it, weeks? The game we before
2: last, he scored a touchdown. You could see that they cut to her in the box and you could see her mouthing, obviously, through a pane of glass. Let's <laughs> go. Yeah. Oh. Like the, the paragon of white America was swearing on television. But like Travis Kelsey's
1: mom was beside her. It's going to be wild. It's just, I just find this very interesting. This is the biggest thing in social media for a long, long time. Is this romance not <laughs> yeah. an true? So? And yet it has to become a culture war as well. Yeah. And that it becomes a political... Everything
0: is a culture war. Yeah, <clears throat> culture welcome war.
1: welcome to the dark times where everything is a culture war and everything is a debate. These are always my favourite episodes of the group chat when they stay very much <laughs> in my wheelhouse, which is sports documentaries now because Lara King has been watching the David Beckham documentary on Netflix. I
0: have. Yeah, I have. Now, admittedly, obviously I don't really like soccer but i was looking at it for the the spice girl throwback i really wanted to see yeah. victoria talking about how they met and everything so i watched the first episode and a little bit of the second one and it's really really good actually it's really good um i texted you and said you'd love it because you're man united and i, and I, and I thought I, you'd love it and i was
2: encouraged when i saw it but then i immediately saw that david beckham's own production company is sort of part of it and then i wondered was it just going to be this no. sort of glorified right, right. yeah. cuz he really sort of wanted to be warts
0: and all it is worth not. Really? No, it is. Like, well again, like obviously I don't remember a lot of those sporting incidents that so they seem to be citing, but <laughs> no, but I mean he's very honest. Like, and I mean, not to maybe spoiler alert, just I'm gonna talk about a few things, but just I suppose well, these things happen, so it's not a spoiler. It's not actually. I was gonna say actually I was, I was gonna say it's these things that no, <laughs> but, but more so about to his, to his reaction thing, to it. But he said he'd never spoken about the whole World Cup in nineteen ninety eight incident. So <laughs> it was the, they lost to Argentina. Argentina. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love how I'm talking about it. anyway. Um so they lost to Argentina, he got Off, he got a red card, and he talked about how, like, the country hated him. So, I suppose he kind of felt so maybe cancelled or whatever word you want to call it back in 1998 that he was basically shunned that like he couldn't get over her. everyone literally yeah, hated him
2: burning effigies wild. It, it was, wild, like, it it was, was like
0: I didn't I have no recollection of that obviously so even to see that coverage was insane and for months and months and months afterwards people were it, it hated the front, him
1: the front pages like the sun I think it was 10, ten, brave, ten, ten brave lines Ten lines, brave one naughty boy, boy. It was stupid boy but, yeah. that,
0: but a lot of that was driven by the manager basically saying it was David Beckham's fault the manager the England manager at the time Glenn Hoddle, Glenn Glenn, Hoddle yeah. like threw him under the Love bus us. like if you want to talk about the row between Vera Powell and Katie McCabe, like this was like, like that was nothing compared to this. Like, he literally came out in the post match interview and was like, Yeah, well, David, like, shouldn't have done that or whatever, and like named the player. Like, it was completely, it totally set off a, a chain of events. But actually, I read by the way, Victoria Beckham did reveal in the documentary, however, that she <laughs> rang David the night before that game from she was in Brooklyn in New York to tell him that she was pregnant with Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> so he had just found out the night before the game that he was gonna be a father. Now, he didn't say whether or not that affects his performance, <laughs> but it definitely kind of was, they were hinting that maybe he his mind was in other places when he went into that game and he talks about that very honestly. He says that, you know, the minute he found out that Victoria was pregnant, that he wanted to leave and everything. So yeah, he's very open about all of that. So he
2: contrived England's elimination from the World no, Cup because he wanted to come and no, no, be just no, pregnant business.
0: But it was but it was interesting to see all of that and just to see kind of how their relationship came together at that time. Like that was such a mad time in tabloid culture as well, wasn't it? That was real like peak. You know, that yeah. was around the time of you know, being just chased down and people writing absolutely outrageous headlines. I mean, the headlines aren't, you know, not fantastic mm. in the UK now either but it's it's a really interesting watch I mean I'm only like I say through the first one and a half episodes um, but the contributors are really cool like you know you've got a lot of that team kind of from that era in Man United Roy, mm-hmm. Roy Keane, Keane is in it like Roy Keane was brilliant you know he Fair talked enough. about David Beckham being kind of hated at that time and like Alex Ferguson took him in took him in, in under his wing after that happened and said like, come on son just get back to work basically and we'll get on with this and tried to kind of look after him and Roy spoiler Keane Spoiler alert that turned sour yeah. Well uh, I did. I actually didn't know that. that's oh, a spoiler that you know. for me but, um, but all also, Roy Keane just talked about the fact that, you know, when they were all playing together then after, the, in the aftermath of that, that they all kind of protected David Beckham quite a lot and that Roy Keane mm-hmm. definitely felt that like, you come for him, you come for all of us was the real, it was the real kind of supportive mentality.
1: I look forward to seeing if the documentary addresses things. I actually feel, it's actually one of, one of the interesting things about it. So the guy who made the doc- documentary, the the director, Fisher Stevens, is the guy who played Hugo in Succession. I had no idea he was a director of documentary. Hugo in Succession. He was basically the time. PR guy.
0: Oh, Royco, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: in. Uh, oh, my gosh, Chicago. yeah. Like Logan Roy's right hand man, basically. Yeah, yeah and yeah. basically, yeah. towards the le- yeah. last season, he was more Kendall's in yeah. with Kendall. Yeah. But, like, yes. it's oh going to be God. interesting how some of the more recent controversy around David Beckham, if they're touched on at all, because you can see the Ga- Gavin's point about it being, you know, this is a. a, a an yeah, is it a PR project? exercise? It's self edit, effectively. Yeah. It's a self edit. But apparently, yeah. the, the reviews are all quite good that it is quite critical and whatnot. But um, some of the, you know, the missteps of recent years like around the Qatar World Cup and the amount of money mm. he accepted from that regime basically just to sacrifice his LGBT fans. Defending yeah.
2: that by saying that he spoke to the LGBTQ uh, community in Qatar and they all felt very safe. Sorry, what, what community is there that are publicly outing themselves to talk to him? Like it's, mm. it's not tolerated over there. There isn't a community.
0: Like, what's he talking about? it would be interesting to see if he does address that. Like, it's certainly from the first one and a half episodes, it does seem like they are going in on things that are uncomfortable. I mean, the headlines today are about, apparently Victoria is going to talk at some point when the episode's about the alleged affair at Rebecca Luce as well. So, I mean, if they're addressing that, you'd have to imagine they're not afraid to go after things that are probably, you know, quite controversial.
1: So that's that's one 90s throwback is David Beckham and Beckham era. Another 90s throwback, which uh, is bidding adieu. Gavin Riley is Airtel, which is. Uh, oh, been you two are tonight. Well, so you knew the running that. order, so I'm pretty <laughs> yeah. sure that you knew where I this was going. What you
2: too <laughs> first. I, uh, Airtel. I was so sad. well. First of all, I was a little surprised to see the news. that Airtel was being killed off because I think we were all probably of the view that Airtel had actually died about ten years ago. I,
0: or, I don't even know how would you get how is. would you get Airtel on your telly right now. I don't even know how one would go about getting so it. Some you just press the tellies
1: have that button still.
0: Mine does. Yeah, yeah if you have older TVs,
1: rather than
2: having the digital thing built in, if you've got a separate Sereview box, your telly might still have. The text mm. mode is still there uh, but like i mean airtel was like if you didn't have internet for a long time before the internet came around like airtel was everything like the, the idea that there was a single place where you could get cinema times find out where the bus is uh, my sister-in-law found out that she got her college course because she got the ceo points on airtel oh my god i remember like, the that, idea that yeah. it was so central to everything yeah that like just the idea that there was this one simple thing be- before the internet and in, all in a, a one-way thing but just the idea that there was one single repository that told you everything you needed to know about everything, including page 221 for the latest pre release scores. Just the, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm very sorry to see it go, but just like what a time to celebrate. Just what an amazing resource it was for everyone. It was, it.
0: but do you remember when you put the wrong number in? You'd put, the, and it'd have to go back around the 100 uh, again yeah, before yeah, you put the right like number it. in. Or, yeah. or yeah. if
2: your coverage was crap and then you finally got to the page that you wanted, but it was just a squiggle of nonsense, but then you couldn't make it out. So annoying. I
1: wonder if people, because I, I've, there's been so much nostalgia around Airtel this week. But I was like, I'm not even sure that people actually did care that much about Airtel. A lot of people didn't. But I think a lot of people probably are drawn towards it now because of the simplicity of it. The mm-hmm. fact that it was just information on anything mm-hmm. um, on a vast variety of things without any of the toxicity of current internet.
0: We didn't have it, it didn't yet. have a comment section underneath well, There was, was a letters yeah. page. Yeah. There was definitely a letters <laughs> page <Okay>. to RT honest. <laughs>
2: kid, Kids own a page 440.
0: Oh really? But like, 440. Yeah. You know the numbers yeah, and everything.
1: was. Yeah. You can't. Book reviews. <laughs> you, you couldn't doom scroll on Airtel. You couldn't sit there just like
2: watching yeah.
1: you know more and more <clears> miserable. Although if you were home before Bosco was on at half past two you
2: were basically doom. Scrolling because they literally just showed you pages from Airtel. Oh my god,
0: yes, I remember. That's literally what
2: they did. You'd be looking at like good body stockbrokers giving you the quotes from the Isaac. Oh my god. This means nothing to me, but it's there. It's
0: there. Yeah.
2: yeah, And the fact, also, the one thing I always really appreciated, and maybe this is a sign of the industry that we all ended up working in, the news headlines were always exactly the same length. There was never. A headline that was like one letter short mm. or one letter too long because they that, all had yeah. to fit in the menu. I saw, yeah, I saw done. Katie
0: Hannon tweeting that she used to work there and she used to write a lot of the stories for Airtel. Mm. Interesting. she shared a nice picture, actually. of Yeah. It was really cool. It was
1: interesting to see as well. A lot of people who are still working in news said that, oh, they used to practice reading the news <laughs> yeah, off yeah. the Airtel. Yeah. Which is kind of cute. It's kind of cute. Uh, yeah, like explains. It that we're a very weird industry <laughs> of deranged. <laughs> well you admit that
0: you didn't do that? No. no, I didn't do that actually at all, no. Um, but yeah, I think... I mean, I did force my dad to be my cameraman, but I never did that. So I suppose...
1: <laughs> How I good know. would Airtel look on The Sphere in Las Vegas? Where um, you two uh, and a, a thousand Irish uh, I actually, people that, went that over. would
0: be a phenomenal collaboration oh, for yeah. Airtel's final lap. Just get them on the sphere with you two playing with or without you flicking the gig, flick, flick, and having, then just turning it off.
2: Page five nine seven and all yeah. loop of good body stuff. I think right? so, and <laughs> then
0: and then just like and then it's like and then it just powers out. That's a great goodbye for Airtel. Let's get Airtel on the sphere. It's the
2: only justification for the size of that the, the size of that thing because is, is the band not too small? Like is the screen behind them not too big? It's
0: about the music, Gavin. It's about the music. music going, the, the music is filling the space. The music is like the, the band the are so space. small
1: you're basically going to uh, the cinema rather than going to see a band. It does look in many ways spectacular. I think it'll only ever suit a small number of bands and acts. Um, and mm. it is, it is by its very nature it's a massive gimmick. Yeah. Like it's a two billion dollar gimmick. Uh, What's there, the
0: capacity for it? How many? It's quite small. Is it, so it's it's an, big, you're going to an intimate gig then, are there, you? Yeah. There, there is, there's a big,
1: one coming to London London, about that. Really. you see the size yeah. of the screens? Well, no, I know, overload. but I've
0: like, you know, if it turns out that the capacity is like less than 10,000. 18,600
2: people. That's not bad. No, that's that's not bigger not than bad. three arena you know,
0: then. Oh, it is bigger, yeah. 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 And okay. they're
2: proposing one for London as well.
1: It was actually launched at the same time, but they haven't got the planning for it yet. Yeah. It's pushed by the guy who owns Madison Square Garden, James Dolan, who also owns the New York Knicks. So... I was quite happy that he had something else to do rather than tamper with my beloved team. But uh, who would you, do would you like to see play in the sphere? Would you ever go Beyonce. It? Beyonce in Beyonce, the sphere yeah. would be good. Yeah. Uh, the Oasis reunion gig. Oh. Just I, shots at Debworth. Do uh, it. I, I would like to see these charming men, the Smiths tribute band, who I saw electric picnic rock. Better rock, than the original Smith. Rock the sphere. But that is all we have time for this uh, week on the group chat. Next week is the budget. So yes. we need to be primed ready for that. So get your rest. Get I your questions get in back. actually. If yeah. you've got
0: any questions about the budget or something you're wondering about now's your chance. Get do. them in.
1: Okay. Well, okay. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have plenty of questions. I'm sure I we'll have plenty to mill over. We will. Maybe we'll have a guest at some point.
0: I wonder will Taylor and the boyfriend still be together next week. We'll, so. we'll get the bid in to see if they'll come in next week. We'll find out. Yeah,
1: we'll do that. <laughs> this is our call out as well. If you're the Minister for Finance and the Minister for Public Expenditure please come on the podcast We have chair here for you folks. We've questions. <laughs> Otherwise now you the listener. We'll be able to say that they ducked our invite. So there you go. (laughs) Anyway, we'll be back here with or without them next week. Uh Ah, There we go. Excellent. Excellent. This has been the group chat. See you next week. Bye bye. (laughs)